0: Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS, College Radio, right here, FM. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We are proud to announce that in our second segment today, we will be playing for you excerpts from the interview we recorded yesterday at the Crest Theater in conjunction with Al Franken's visit to Sacramento. Al Franken uh, did his usual uh, Al Franken show between 9 a.m. and noon yesterday at the Crest Theater from which it was beamed out to the nation, after which various local media people were afforded the opportunity to interview Mr. Franken and uh, we were in line. And we hope that you will stay tuned for that Al has been on a tear uh, on the West Coast Blue States. He was in Seattle on Monday. He was in Portland on Tuesday, after which he came to Sacramento on Wednesday and then went down to San Francisco uh, earlier today. The quote uh, that I think might be most appropriate to start today's program with comes from Bertrand Russell and is a favorite of uh, Bill Wagman, one of our fellow DJs here at uh, KDVS. According to Bertrand Russell, the trouble with the world is that the stupid are cocksure and the intelligent are full of doubt. Why does that seem so appropriate for the Bush administration? And on this date in history, May 12, 1925, a radio station in Philadelphia broadcasted the first all-star program featuring film actors and actresses. Among the voices heard were those of Lillian Gish, and Marion Davies. Lillian Gish and her sister Dorothy were, of course, uh, two of the femme fatales of early silent uh, movies. It's kind of odd that silent movie actors and actresses were doing radio would be the uh, opportunity for the public to hear their voice for the first time, at least uh, unless they saw them on the stage. Uh, Marion Davies uh, was somewhat infamous later in life, as the longtime mistress of uh, media tycoon William Randolph Hearst. In our starting joke of the day for today's program, how many Bush administration officials does it take to screw in a light bulb? Answer, none. There is nothing wrong with a light bulb. Its conditions are improving every day. Any reports of its lack of incandescence are a delusional spin from the liberal media. That light bulb has served honorably, and anything you say undermines the lighting effect. Why do you hate freedom and not believe in God? I want to thank Lisa for sending that in an email some months back. And um, speaking of computers, there's a little little blurb I must uh, bring to your attention from the feedback section of New Scientist magazine. The magazine noted that the IT department was going to get easier in the wake of a book by Louise Hay titled The Power Is Within You, wherein she proposes a novel way to solve computer problems. She suggests that because the machines reflect our unconsciousness, the author realized that many of us were sending negative energy to the computers and we were expecting them to constantly break down. She had an affirmation programmed into the computer. Good morning how are you today? I work well when I am loved. I love you. In my own somewhat unscientific study of my Mac, I've found that it is not working any better in spite of my affirmations. So in this department, the research goes on. As our regular listeners know, we like to start out with uh, some some levity and light stuff. and I think we're especially uh, likely to do that with, uh, with a nationally known comic on, on today's program. Uh, so let's do a few miscellaneous things uh, from the internet. Uh, this one I got off of Yahoo, uh, worthy of mention. The t- <laughs> article was titled, School Mistakes, Huge Burrito for a Weapon. Apparently someone called the authorities at the Marshall Junior High in Clovis, New Mexico after a student was observed entering the school with something long and wrapped. This prompted police to put armed officers on rooftops, close nearby streets, and lock down the school. The drama ended two hours later when the suspicious item was identified as a 30-inch burrito filled with steak guacamole, lettuce, salsa, and jalapenos wrapped inside tinfoil and a white t-shirt. Apparently, 8th grader Michael Morrissey was responding to an extra credit assignment to create commercial advertising for a product. He said, we had to make up a product and it could have been anything. I made up a restaurant that specialized in oddly large burritos. Russell apparently solved the mystery after everyone was brought together in the school auditorium to explain what was going on. Apparently, after much relief and laughter, Michael Morrissey got a new nickname. It's Burrito Boy. And in a bit of comedy, I think worthy of quoting from The New Yorker, the last week, May 2nd um, issue, we have Social Security Reform Made Clear by Christopher Buckley. It starts off with an actual quote from Republican economist Michael Boskin writing in the Wall Street Journal, quote, Combined with a partial improvement in the CPI, the BLS implementing its vastly superior chained CPI, which would eliminate 30 to 40 basis points of the bias, these reforms will easily deal with the long-run solvency issues. Following which in Christopher Buckley's Q&A, over Social Security, we have the following. Question. Is President Bush's proposal to perform Social Security a good thing for older people? Answer. Utterly. Deferred benefit indexation when viewed through the actuarial matrix subliminator, shows a benefit-to-deficit ratio of 0.003, which is entirely within normal parameters. Question. What about these private accounts? Will people really have access to their own money? Answer. You have to view it through the monetarized Feldman prism. The old matrices are, well, let's face it, out the window. If you go back to the 1930s, or even to the reign of Verdingeterix, the only way of proximatizing was to extrapolate an entire ex-ante carve-out into an ex-post add-on. Hardly an elegant solution. And, question, the president's opponents say that the private accounts are going to cost something like $2 trillion. Is that true? answer. It depends on how you view, quote, two trillion dollars, unquote. If you look at it as a concept, it's just a number on paper. But if you look at two trillion as a stack of one dollar bills that would stretch to Pluto and back, sure, it's a lot of money. So is three trillion. So is four trillion. So is a Google zillion, quadrillion octillion uptillion. Why stop there? It's a spurious argument, and I spit on the face of it. And Radio Paragraphs would like to cl- clarify for the record... A trillion-dollar bills will not stretch to Pluto and back. All right, how much time? We, we're at nine minutes? All right, well, we just, let's just let's just run the table on some fun here. Uh, our friends at... Our friends. Yeah, they are our friends. The, the Week magazine are indeed our friends. The editors over there, if for nothing else than the fact they keep coming up with it's a good week for, bad week for. The current issue of the Week notes, and we feel compelled to quote, that it was a good week for calling the kettle black. Last week, after Ashton Kutcher said this of Keanu Reeves, I'll watch a Keanu Reeves movie, and I'll go, wow, he's really not a very good actor. <laughs> yes, yes, that's a, that's that's the pot calling the kettle black. This is balanced off by it being a bad week for... Willie Nelson. And no, it's not from his appearance at the Dixon Mayfair last week, which KDVS unfortunately failed to cover for you. No, it was a bad week for Willie Nelson after Republican state senators blocked efforts to name a 49-mile stretch of Texas Highway 130 after the country legend. The senators said Nelson didn't deserve the honor because of his three vices. He drinks too much, he smokes marijuana, and he campaigns for Democratic candidates. You took part that once was my heart. So why not take all of me? All right, we're not through with this. It was a good week last week for Thinking Big. After singer and actress Jennifer Lopez revealed that she would like to be the first female president. When asked what the first thing she would do if she became president was, she responded, "The first thing I do is redecorate the White House. It doesn't look cozy." <laughs> yes, it's it's good to think big. President Lopez. Um, and this is one this is maybe this may be the best all-time good week for bad week for selection they've ever had in the Week magazine. Not necessarily because it's the funniest, but it's because it's the most oh-my-God-inducing. It was a bad week for biblical literists last week after historians studying a newly discovered fragment of the oldest surviving copy of the New Testament announced that the legendary Mark of the Beast is probably six one six rather than 666. So all those of you who watched last week's episode of The Simpsons, wherein Homer Simpson (laughs) sees the Left Behind series and becomes convinced that the apocalypse is upon us using this elaborate series of calculations, well, you can't factor in 666. It's 616. Now, it appears that uh, the government can't seem to decide what to do with Lindy England, the scapegoat who, um, who was, you know, fingered for being posed in pictures with the prisoners at, at Abu Ghraib. She was sentenced, and then this, the, the conviction was thrown out of court. We're going to have to follow this more closely and see what's going to happen here. It should be quite clear that uh, Joe Connison, writing in Salon.com, uh, is correct, when he noted that, uh, that a week before England was sentenced, the Army's Inspector General exonerated the entire Pentagon and White House brass for any culpability in this shameful period in our history. This prompted the Washington Post an editorial to note, the fact that only England and seven other low-ranking scapegoats will be punished is even more disgraceful than the abuses themselves. To that we agree 100%. And it's something noted in the Washington Post uh, a couple of weeks back, especially appropriate uh, for uh, our show today with uh, the leading uh, uh, Limbaugh killer of the nation uh, soon to come on the program. Uh, William Raspberry in the Washington Post noted that um, the problem with Fox News is not just that it's biased, is that it's really like a cancer in the news media. He noted that the the fact that it's clobbering, quote unquote, CNN and MSNBC um, is really a huge problem in that Fox, unlike Rush Limbaugh on the radio, who is at least, you know, obviously openly uh, partisan, um, Fox doesn't own up to its mission and is sort of with a wink and a nod to its audience promotes itself as fair and balanced. And of course, you all recall from our program back in fall of 2003 that uh, Bill O'Reilly insisted that Fox News sue Al Franken over the use of a fair and balanced look at the right on, uh, in the title of his, uh, his book, Lies and the Lying Liars Who Tell Them, uh, which was, as Franken uh, subsequently reported, literally laughed out of court preparing for this program, I, I actually pulled out uh, an, an old CD of our uh, October 30th, 2003 show, wherein we reported to you uh, upon uh, our trip down to UC Berkeley, where we saw Al Franken at the Zellerbach Auditorium, wherein he he killed. He killed. It was every performer, every comic and performer's uh, dream, I think, just to, to have that kind of night. He had everybody in stitches and... Um, was very, very good. But uh, he noted to UC Berkeley, and we reported uh, for him to UC Davis, and it's worth repeating, that that proceeding opened up with Fox addressing the court and saying, Your Honor, the Fox network has 85 million subscribers, which caused the judge to say, wait a minute, stop right there. I have cable. Does that make me a Fox subscriber? (laughs) After which the... Tony sort of shuffled and said, yes, which caused the courtroom to burst into laughter. Not a good start for Fox. But I digress. William Raspberry pointed out that millions of Americans have bought into this idea, and much of the country now accepts as gospel that all news organizations are just like Fox. They're grinding partisan axes all the time. Well, it's not so. And how's that for a way of plugging Mr. Franken's book? Well, he he actually covered that topic extremely well. And if you haven't had a chance to read it, it's, you know, it's still available. Lies and the Lying Liars Who Tell Them by Al Franken uh, talks quite a bit about Fox and uh, very much in keeping with what Mr. Raspberry had to say. And there's two startling things that aren't being reported in the U.S. media that we we've been talking about. We need to uh, to bring up again the fact that a statistical analysis done by numerous uh, distinguished academic statisticians across this across this country have shown pretty definitively that something funny took place last November 4th in the uh, the election of George Bush and. Um, We're still working on bringing to you some of those statisticians, but, you know, stay tuned. I promise you we're going to get someone to talk about that. This should be page one news in the newspapers across America, and unfortunately, it is not. Another item that should be page one news just came to me in an email from Jerry in Pennsylvania. An analysis by fairness and accuracy in reporting. Fair. A very good group. Noted uh, in an email that some of you may have gotten, I hope you did, that there's an Iraqi bombshell that is just not getting reported in the U.S. media. The information rocked Tony Blair in his re-election campaign. Uh, The London Times reported on the 1st of May uh, that the minutes of a July 23rd, 2002 meeting in Blair's office with the Prime Minister's close advisors was held to discuss the Bush administration's policy on Iraq, and the likelihood that Britain would support the U.S. invasion of Iraq. The minutes of the meeting said, It seemed clear that Bush had made up his mind to take military action, even if the timing was not yet decided. The minutes also recounted a visit to Washington by Richard Dearlove, the head of the British intelligence service MI6. That meeting was summarized with, There was a perceptible shift in attitude. Military action was now seen as inevitable. Bush wanted to remove Saddam through military action justified by the conjunction of terrorism and weapons of mass destruction. Last sentence. But the intelligence and facts were being fixed around the policy. Okay, the head of British intelligence reporting to the British prime minister notes, quote, The intelligence and facts were being fixed around the policy. This is what we've reported on this program, which numerous people have reported to you from some liberal radio outlets, from some blog sites, from some sites on the web, and from foreign uh, news services, but not on page one of America's newspapers and not on um, the networks that provide you with television news. The intelligence and facts were being fixed around the policy. Now, We followed this contemporaneously from the summer of 2002 and kept playing for you the Marx Brothers, Fredonia's going to war as a joke because it was quite clear we were going to war. It was only a matter of how to justify it. Colin Powell talking to the UN, all of that was just, again, quote, the intelligence and facts being fixed around the policy. Again, this was in July 2002, which reputable people were saying was about the time the irrevocable decision was made to go to war, even though the shooting didn't start till March 2003. We will, of course, continue to follow breaking developments in that story, if any, break here in the United States. Let us take a break and return with... Someone that I think all of you listeners know, Mr. Al Franken, familiar to you as a writer and performer from Saturday Night Live, and more recently, a best-selling author, has made a go of it in liberal talk radio. And when we come back, we will speak to him about that. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and you're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. Take my lips, I'll never use them Your goodbye left me with eyes that cry And I know that I am no good without you You took part that once was my heart, so why not take all